The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Amen. Uh, Thank you, Mike, and praise team for leading us in worship this morning. There is something about that name, isn't there? Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we will be in the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Matthew is uh, the first book of the New Testament. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. If, if, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. If not, bring, pull out your phone, uh, open up the Bible app, and you can join us that way as well. Um, but, uh, so as you're turning there, I'll give you a quick, a quick story to introduce our text. Uh, then late night talk show host Jimmy Kimmel at times will perform a skit where he has his employees go down to the street and interview people about various subjects. Now, I, I, as an aside, I'm not condoning Jimmy Kimmel. I'm not condoning uh, many of these interviews that he does. But in one of these interviews, his employees pull out, pull, put out a blacked out map of the United States on an easel and they ask people passing by if they know which country is on the map. Thankfully, Everyone they interviewed said yes. They said it was the United States. So there's yet hope for our country. But then, uh, but then they turn the map upside down. And again, they start asking people passing by if they know which country is being shown. They give a clue that this country has been in the news a lot lately. And they ask if they can identify the country by its shape. Well, the first guy looks at the map. He pauses to think about it. Country in the news a lot lately. And he says, North Korea? The second lady guesses by saying Germany. Other answers given are Canada, Australia, and one guy even answers with Uganda. It isn't until the interviewers tell the people to look at the map upside down that they realize that this is the very country that they live in. Well, much like those interviewed on the street, we often possess a general surface level familiarity with many subjects. And yet this familiarity can at times be the very barrier that prevents us from truly grasping the subject itself. As the saying goes, right, familiarity breeds contempt. Our passage this morning is a very familiar passage. No doubt you've heard it either preached or you've read it many times before. But it's my hope and it's my prayer this morning that we will be, go beyond the familiar understanding of this passage. That we'll be go, go beyond the surface level And that God would show you the very heart of this passage. But even more through this passage, that God would show you the very heart of Christ in this passage. This morning, we will see that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, who supplies us in our need, and who satisfies the very longings of our soul. So with that, Being said, let's go ahead to Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21 and read our text. Now, when Jesus heard this, when he heard that Herod was looking for Jesus, when he heard that uh, that when he assumed that Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected, when Jesus heard this news, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. And healed their sick. 
Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Well, Father, we come to you this morning and we do pray that, that we would taste and see that you are good. And that you would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love. Father, we know that there are many needs, that there are countless needs, needs that have been spoken of earlier and needs that are unspoken. So I do pray, Father, that you would meet us where we are this morning and that you would use your word to minister to our souls. So speak now, we pray, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So first we see this morning that Jesus is the Savior who sympathizes. When Jesus perceives that he is in physical danger, he decides to withdraw to a desolate place along with his disciples. And so in our text this morning, it says he withdraws by himself, but, but that's to contrast that he's not going with the crowd. So he and his disciples are going away. And we see that in the other accounts of this in the other Gospels. But Jesus calls his 12 disciples together. They go across the Sea of Galilee. And yet would, what should have been a desolate place was anything but because the crowds catch wind of Jesus' travel plans, and they, 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 they go around on foot to meet Jesus. Well, maybe you've experienced the same kind of feeling in small measure yourself. Maybe you've been working really hard for many weeks on a project, putting in the extra hours at night, burning the midnight oil. You're exhausted, but you're also excited when, when the week comes when the project is due, because you're planning to take that Friday off for some much-needed R&R. But then... Oh, no, you get that dreaded email. You get an urgent email at 4.55 p.m. on Thursday from your boss saying how a problem with the project has come up and that it must be addressed by no later than end of business Friday. And this is purely, purely hypothetical. It's never it never happened uh, to me. But uh, but imagine the disappointment. Imagine the deflation and the frustration and the annoyance you might feel in that moment. Well, this is what Jesus is similarly what Jesus and his disciples experienced. But times ten. His disciples had just finished a time of ministry, and it's actually the second time in two chapters that Jesus tries to withdraw away by himself, but to no avail. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 2 say that Jesus went to sit by the sea to be alone. But right after he did so, a great crowd came upon him, such that it pushed him out onto a a boat that was docked nearby in the Sea of Galilee. So if there was ever a time for Jesus to spend some time resting and being renewed in fellowship with his heavenly father and with his disciples, surely it was now. And to give a little bit further context to the crowd, a little bit more description for the crowd. John's accounting of this story in his gospel says that the crowds who came to this desolate place, they didn't travel there to see Jesus himself. They just wanted something from Jesus. They wanted Jesus to do something for them. They either wanted to be healed by him, or experience his wonder workings. They view Jesus merely as a means to an end, to get from him what they wanted. To put simply, Jesus was being used 
by the crowds. Yet though the crowds had interrupted his spiritual retreat, and though they are seeking him out because he is useful to them, Jesus doesn't respond to the crowds like we might would have. He doesn't respond with frustration, annoyance, or indignation. On the contrary, our text says this morning that he had compassion on them, on the sickness-stricken crowd, and he welcomed them to himself. Now, one commentator, he writes this. I thought this was helpful. He said, the normal inclination would have been to ignore the people and to keep going or to dismiss the crowds away, telling them that there's no more healings to be done today. It would have been easy for him also to go into the hills where, where they couldn't have reached him or to go back into the boat and to find another place where the crowds wouldn't find him. But Jesus did not follow the usual human inclinations. And although he was exhausted and in great need of rest, he was drawn to them because he felt compassion for them. And that word compassion literally means from the deepest part of his being. And when, so when we are worn down, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, what's our natural tendency? Right? It's to focus on ourselves, isn't it? But not so with Jesus. Because we see in our text this morning that his natural tendency is not to focus on himself, but to give of himself to others. In love, Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them, and he healed those who were suffering. Jesus' heart goes out to all those who are suffering. He can feel nothing but compassion toward them. So I know, I know there are many of you suffering this morning. Take heart, whether it is suffering from a physical illness, suffering from life circumstances, suffering from the consequences of your own sin, maybe suffering from a strange relationship or even worse, suffering from the loss of a loved one, whatever it may be. Take heart this morning. If you come to him, Jesus can feel nothing but compassion toward you. For it is his very nature to do so. The Bible says that, Jesus, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. You need not be bashful nor embarrassed nor afraid of inconveniencing Jesus by coming to him. Because he sees you. He welcomes you. He feels compassion for you. And he will care for you if you would come to him. For he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. Isaac Watts, the famous hymn writer, said this regarding suffering. Every troublesome occurrence in life is an opportunity to bring oneself to its knees. It improves every sorrow when you increase your acquaintance with heaven. I may commit my sorrows to God since he is my best friend. He knows all beforehand, but it eases our souls and it gives us sweet satisfaction in having such a friend to speak to. In his faithfulness, he will fulfill all his promises. In his love, he will take compassion on those who are afflicted, and he will tend to those who are miserable. When your heart is heavy, when your soul is sad, maybe when you're physically in pain, go to the God, go to the God of all comfort in prayer. He delights to hear from his people. So Jesus welcomes the crowd to himself, and he begins to heal them. And with every touch of his healing hands and with every word of his omnipotent voice, Jesus demonstrates the power of God's kingdom to undo the destruction that sin had caused. 
Though the curse of sin had touched everything under the sun, with one touch, the Son of God began restoring what sin had corrupted. As the hymn says, he comes to make his blessings known, far as the curse is found. Yet Jesus' power over sickness and disease in this story is but a foretaste for us of the greater power that he would later display in his death on the cross over sin and death. And while it is amazing to experience healing from physical sickness and disease, and we should still be praying for that earnestly, as we did this morning, we should be praying for that because our God is still in the miracle working business. But this healing is ultimately temporary if the end of our lives is still marked by death. The healing is nice, but it ultimately gets swallowed up by death itself. But thankfully, Jesus didn't come to this earth only to heal people of their bodily diseases. He came to provide for us the greater healing, to save us from our sin and to liberate us from the very power of death itself. On the cross, Jesus bore the punishment for your sin. He took your place so that you could be forgiven and reconciled to God. And in his resurrection, Jesus displayed his victorious power over death itself. And he offers this same power to all who would repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. He offers eternal life to you. The good news of the gospel is not that Jesus can give you a better life. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus can give you brand new life. He didn't come to make bad people good. He, made, he came to make spiritually dead people alive. And while it is true that sickness still plagues us, disease still disables us, and sin is still present in this world and present in our own hearts, and though death is still a reality, the cross and resurrection of Jesus provide us with the down payment for what, for what awaits us one day. When our king returns to this earth to deal the final death blow to sin, Satan, and death, and, to, and when, we, when he comes to make all things new. And on that day, in the new heavens and in the new earth, the Bible says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, or pain, for the former things have passed away. So if you're a Christian this morning, this future is your reality, and it is your hope. You will experience sin, disease, and suffering in this lifetime, yes. But one day, these former things will pass away. And if you're not yet a Christian, this can become your future reality as well. Jesus sees you this morning with your sin-stricken heart and all, but just as he did with the crowds, he welcomes you to himself. And he will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He will cleanse you of your sin. He will restore your relationship with God, and he will give you the hope of eternal life. And with one touch of his healing hands, and with one word of his omnipotent voice, Jesus will demonstrate the power of his kingdom in your own life, as he frees you from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the very presence of sin itself. Our passage this morning shows us that Jesus' kindness and his compassion towards sinners and sufferers knows no end. For he is a Savior who sympathizes with us in all of our weaknesses. So let go of whatever is keeping you from coming to him, for there is nothing keeping him from receiving you. He welcomes you and he will embrace you with open arms 
and with his nail-pierced hands. Jesus is the Savior who, who sympathizes with us. But we also see this morning that not only is Jesus the Savior who sympathizes, he's also the Savior who supplies. So after a full day of healing the sick, evening approaches on the horizon. And, then, and since they are in a desolate place, the disciples approach Jesus with a very practical question of, Jesus, where in the world are all these people going to get food? Send them away so they can fend for themselves. To which Jesus replies, they need not go away. You, you, you give them something to eat. What an interesting response by Jesus, right? You give them something to eat. We find out later, we read it, we found out later in this passage that there are over 5,000 men, not including women and children. So including everyone, it very well could have been fifteen to 25,000 people in this gathering. And yet despite the crowd size, despite the sheer impossibility of the task, Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Why would he command them to carry out such an impossible task? Listen, there are times in our own lives and there are times in the life of this church when God will bring you to the brink of impossibility and he will call you to serve him beyond your ability. So when God brings us to this point, our text shows us that we can respond in three different ways. We can either deflect, we can despair, or we can depend. We can deflect the need, right? Much like the disciples attempted to do when they said, send the crowds away, Jesus. We can pretend the need is not there. And it's easy for us to do that when we see needs around us that exceed our capacity. But a second tempting response is to let the needs around us highlight within us our own insufficiencies and then lead us to despair. Right? We see this when the disciples attempt this approach with Jesus. So, okay, the first one didn't work. Let's try another approach. They said, Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish. Now, lest we think ourselves holier than thou, how many times have you said something maybe along these lines? I wish I had more money, more energy, more time, more boldness, more intellect, more gifting, or maybe more wisdom. You fill in the blank. Because then, if I had these things, then I could be more useful and meet the needs God has placed in front of me. But if we look within at our own insufficiencies, at the inadequacies of our own human and earthly resources, we will despair. You see the needs, but you can't meet the needs. But in our passage, Jesus didn't tell his disciples, you give them something to eat so that they would deflect the need or despair because of the need. He said this so that they would respond in faith by saying, Lord, you know that we can't. But we know that you can do all things. So use us and do through us what we could not do ourselves. In this passage, Jesus was calling his disciples then, and he is still calling his disciples today to an impossibility-defying dependence and faith in our great and omnipotent God. So our, our kids, they're still at the age when they, can, they still think and say, my daddy can do anything. Uh, now, I'm not looking forward to the day when the dose of reality sets in and, and, and I disappoint them in that belief. But this is the same kind of faith that Jesus is calling us to here in this passage, to a childlike faith such that we can say with full confidence, full conviction and full belief, my heavenly father can do anything. George Mueller was a Christian missionary evangelist 
who also founded many orphanages in England during the 19th century. And through his faith and prayers, and without ever, he never asked once for money. He had the privilege of caring for over 120,000 orphans during his lifetime. In his journals, Mueller records miracle after miracle of God's constant provision in his answered prayer to meet needs. And so here's one of the journal entries. He writes this. One morning, all the plates and cups and and, uh, bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the cupboard and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal. Then lifting up his hands, Mueller prayed this. Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Right after you prayed that, there was, there was a knock on the door. The baker stood there, the town baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt that you didn't have enough bread for breakfast. And the Lord wanted me to make some for you. So I got up at 2 a.m. this morning and baked some fresh bread and I brought it to you. Well, after Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, no sooner after he had left, he gets another knock on the door. True story, by the way. And this is not a preacher story. This is a true story. He, he opens the door and it's the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage. and That he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon and repair it. No food, no provision. God provides. George Mueller was faced with an impossible task of feeding the orphan children while lacking any human provision. Yet rather than deflecting or despairing, George Mueller depended on his sovereign God who alone could supply the need. When God calls you to a task for his kingdom, that seems impossible. You can look to the inconveniences of the situation and deflect. You can look to your own sufficiency and despair. Or you can look by faith at the sufficiency of your Savior and depend upon him. William Carey, the father of the modern missionary movement, he once said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And the good news, church, is that the same God, that that, that the God of George Mueller and the God of William Carey is our same God today. So how is God calling you to serve him? Look to the one who is able to supply your need. And trust by faith in his grace and in his provision every step of the way. We may only have five loaves and two fish. That's often the case. But our Lord is able to do much with our very little. When we surrender our all to him in faith. So Jesus tells his disciples to bring the five loaves and the two fish to him. And then he orders the crowds to organize into different groups and to sit down on the grass. In verse 19 If you you have your Bible still open, take a look at it with me. Verse 19 says this. And after taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, if, if we're honest, there might be many or maybe some of you in this room thinking right now. You know, this is a nice sounding story and all, but surely a rational person could not believe such a thing really happened and you would be correct if if jesus were just any other man but the bible teaches us that the same voice that blessed this food is the same voice who in the very beginning said let there be and there was with his spoken word hebrews 1 tells us the universe was created 
And the same hands that multiplied the food to feed the masses is the, are the same hands that stretch out, stretch out the heavens like a curtain. In this miracle, we see a resounding example of Jesus's divine power. To satisfy the hunger of fifteen to 25,000 people with a little boy sack lunch is only possible through a new supernatural multiplication of the food. By performing this miracle, Jesus gives conclusive evidence that he is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. And that he is the eternally existing son of God who is able to call into existence that which did not exist before. He is able to call into existence what did not exist before. He can make something from ex nihilo out of nothing. Our text this morning is instructing us to trust in Jesus, the Son of God, who is able to supply what seems impossible. So just like the disciples in this story, we too, right, if we're honest again, we're naturally prone to look everywhere else but to Jesus to meet our needs. Even though time after time after time, he has proven his faithfulness to us. The disciples had seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle of Jesus. Him, him turning water into wine at a wedding. And yet they still say, where are we going to get this bread? Yet we do the same thing oftentimes, don't we? Although Jesus is perfectly able to do his work in this world without us and without our resources, he chooses to use us and our meager resources to magnify his grace, his goodness, and his power in this world. As the hymn says, little is much when God is in it. Jesus is the Savior who sympathizes. He is the Savior who supplies. And finally, we see from our passage this morning that Jesus is the Savior who satisfies. Go with me to verses 20 through 21. It says this, And they all ate and were satisfied. And that, that, that word satisfied, it's used to describe, it was used back then to describe animals who, were, who stayed at the feed trough until they wanted nothing, until they were full, until their bellies were full. They were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Matthew tells us here that not only were the sick healed, but also the hungry were satisfied by Jesus. Yet John's gospel tells us that this, John's accounting of this story in his gospel tells us that his, this miracle of Jesus, him satisfying the physical hunger of the crowds, is intended to point us to a greater spiritual reality for why he came to this earth. You don't have to turn there, but John 6, 35, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, he didn't come to this earth to make our bellies full. He came to this earth to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Or to put it another way, he didn't come to fulfill your fleshly desires, despite what many prosperity gospels on the TV might try to sell your way. No, he came to transform your desires in such a way that you view him as precious and as the treasure of your soul. He came to lovingly conquer the idolatries of our own heart, the things that can never truly satisfy. 
Now, we all innately sense that there is an emptiness within our own souls, right? And so aware of this emptiness, we try to self-prescribe different, different remedies to fill that void. Sometimes we chase after pleasure, after possessions, after prosperity, after praise from others. We chase after relationships, hoping, just hoping that maybe one of these things will give us meaning, fulfillment, and purpose in this life. And maybe, only maybe, just maybe, one of these things can satisfy. We have all eaten of these foods, though, and yet after eating, we are, we are always still found wanting. Whereas the famous Rolling Stones song says, I can't get no satisfaction. Oftentimes in life, we are like tired and thirsty wanderers in the desert, chasing after the mirages when there is rest and refreshment to be had at the oasis. Augustine, in his confessions, wrote this. And many of you, I'm sure, have heard this quote before. But he says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. Sin has severed our relationship with God. And so we search for other substitutions to fill that God-sized void in our souls. But as Augustine said, these substitutions, these idolatries, they can never give rest to the restlessness within our hearts. Because you were created to know God truly and personally. And so only a, re- a restoration of your re- relationship with him can bring the true satisfaction to your soul and true rest to your heart. This is why Jesus came to this earth. To take your sin and your punishment upon himself through his death on the cross. So that your relationship with God might be restored. Jesus is the bread of life, and he alone can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. We've seen this morning that Jesus is the all-sufficient Savior who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, who supplies us in our need, and who satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. So this morning, would you not behold him in his beauty and in his majesty? And in beholding him, be transformed by him. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 3. It's one of the greatest verses in regard to our sanctification in regard to the Christian life. And we all beholding the glory of the Lord are transformed from one degree of glory to another. The way we grow in the Christian life isn't by do, do, do. It's by behold, 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 and be changed. So we're going to enter now into a time of response. As you prepare your heart to respond to God's word this morning, I have three points of application uh, that come by way of questions. First, will you come to Jesus and will you experience his compassion for you during your seasons of suffering? He delights to hear often from his people. Whatever your distress may be, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, circumstantial, our Savior sees you. He welcomes you. He feels compassion for you. Literally, in the deepest part of his being, he feels for you. And he will care for you if you come to him. For he has said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest. 
come to him in your hurts. Secondly, the second question I want to ask you this morning is will you offer people in your life the chance to eat of the bread of life? Until King Jesus returns, there is a world hungering for the bread of life. And so to all the houses in this surrounding neighborhood and to all the unreached people groups in in the world, Jesus is saying to New Life Baptist Church this morning, you give them something to eat. You, church. So how will you respond? Will you pretend the need doesn't exist and deflect? Will you see the great need and despair? Or will you depend upon him? However little you think you may have to offer in service to him, Jesus' response to your offerings, offering of five loaves and two fish remain the same this morning. Bring them here to me. It may be very little, but the little boy gave all that he had. And so I encourage you this morning to surrender your all to him in service of the one who is able to work through you to do, to do the impossible and to perform the miracle of salvation in the lives of others. And then the final question this morning I want to ask you in closing is this. Are you personally seeking to find your satisfaction in Jesus? Or are you chasing after the sinful substitutions of this world? Listen, sin always promises, but it can never deliver. So if this describes you, I invite you to turn from your sinful substitutions and turn to the only one who can truly satisfy your soul to Jesus, the bread of life. Maybe you re- you've realized this morning that you've never trusted in Jesus. And if that's you this morning, Jesus's invitation remains open this morning. And I would love to share with you how you can be saved and how you can find your soul's satisfaction in Jesus. So we're going to pray. And uh, after we pray, uh, we're going to sing and I invite you to, to respond to the Lord um, however he is working in your heart. Don't, don't be a hearer of God's word. And not a doer. Don't be like one who sees his face in the mirror and goes away unchanged, right? Forgetting what it looks like. Let's be doers of the word this morning. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to us. And that he has shown the greatest degree of compassion toward us. He meets us where we are. He doesn't call us to be something we're not before he comes to us. He comes to us where we are. He sees us and he has compassion on us. And we thank you that not only does he have compassion on us, but he supplies our very need. In our moments of greatest need, he is there if we would look to him. And we thank you finally that he is the one who can satisfy. So I pray, Father, that you would be at work this morning showing us collectively where we need to grow in following you and knowing you and um pray that that your spirit would be at work right now pray all this in jesus name amen thank you for listening to today's sermon if you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way please connect with us at newlifeba.org